There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, here's something nobody is talking about, but I think that it is a huge deal. Why are there so many wild turkeys now? I can't believe that you said this because we didn't even pre-talk about this. No, we didn't. Wild turkeys are everywhere and they are mean motherfuckers. But, but when I was a kid, they were like, it was special when you saw a bunch of wild turkeys. Us too. Me it, too. It was like, whoa. It's like you'd see them. There'd be like four or five. Girl, there were like 30 wild turkeys the size of my Subaru on my way home the other night. And if you hit one, that's some damage. Like, they're big. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so my brother, when he lived in St. Paul, had a wild turkey fly through his living room window. No. Like, shattered the living room window. Like, luckily his, his little son wasn't in there at the time. But yeah, turkey destroyed the living room window in St. Paul. Like, they're everywhere, and we need to do something about it. (laughs) This week, Kim Kelly, Riri Cheney, and Michelle Buteau join us to tackle the following questions. What happened with the Amazon union vote? What's riskier than getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? How do you define the prime of your life? And why is Michelle's dishwasher driving her to the edge of sanity? All this and more right now. All right. It has been a busy news week. We are going to focus specifically on a couple stories just because otherwise there's just too much. So let's talk first about public health. Let's talk about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. The CDC and the FDA announced this week the vaccinations of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should pause in all the different states, and every single state agreed to do it. Um, This was after six recipients out of about a little shy of 7 million, 6.8 million people, um, emerged with a uh, rare blood clotting disorder. All six of them were women between the ages of 18 and 48, and all of them developed these blood clotting uh, problems within one to three weeks after getting the vaccine. So um, yesterday, Alyssa, I was seeing all these hot takes about uh, vaccine hesitancy and whether or not this made sense. And I just wonder what your less hot take is, your warm take at a temperature that's able to consume. My toasty take? Yeah. Well, first, my first thought was my mom got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and she was a hesitant person and I was waiting for her text because she, I thought she was going to be like, I told you there'd be something wrong with it. But luckily she didn't because even my mom was like six out of like seven million. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Like I, uh, look, we came out of four years of of 0% transparency, right? And so I appreciate the transparency in this. Um, Six out of almost seven million, I think, is uh, 0.00009% if we round up of uh, people affected by this. So, you know, I feel terrible for the for the uh, people who have been affected by it. But 
I mean, it's it's it seems pretty safely low. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like the federal government's line here is that the reason that they paused it and they were transparent about it is because they want people to be confident in the vaccine. Like, if they're pausing it just because of this, then you know we're, they're not hiding anything. They're not trying to sweep anything under the rug. Right. They're being very, like you said, uh, transparent. But you know, after this news broke. Um, a lot of people brought up a couple of other things that uh, risk that comes with certain uh, medical procedures. And one of the things that people brought up a lot was like risks associated with just being a person that has uh, female reproductive parts who Mm -hmm. is trying to live their life in some way. Um, Birth control, for example, can um, I think one in 1000 users of birth control um, will have a clotting incident within, uh, within this year. Um, it's like not a common thing, but one in a thousand is a lot more than one in a million. Correct. By many factors. By a fa- by many, fa- I, you know what, when I was in high school, I was like, I'm never using math again, but here I am using math. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, another thing is pregnancy. Um, pregnancy can cause a person to be much more inclined to clotting disorders. Um, I think it's one in 40 to one in 60 women who um, have a baby, have some sort of issue with blood clotting. Um, that's a lot. You know, that's that's a lot of risk that a lot of people are expected to take on. And, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, of the people that, you know, I didn't see anybody prominent come out and say that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was unsafe and I told you so or anything like that. Not with these numbers, but I'm imagining the type of person who would do that. And I think that they're also the type of person who think that when a woman becomes pregnant, she should just have the baby and not have an option. I agree. I also feel like they're maybe the same people who when bills for funding, research, about things that might impact women come across their desk are like, why? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And one of my, uh, it's interesting, I've been obsessed with this one fact for a while, but uh, do you know that women in America enter menopause earlier than, say, women in Asia and Europe? I didn't know that. Why is that? Well, Aaron, no one fucking does any research to figure out why. <laughs> this is, this is, there are lots of theories. And when we were getting ready for this episode, I actually, it's something I had been told by my doctor and he gave me things to avoid, right? Like parabens. Mm-hmm. Our products have more parabens, uh, women's lotion, makeup, shampoos, because uh, they tend to make things more stable on the shelf. So ours have more parabens. Products in Asia and Europe don't have as many parabens. Has there been a ton of research done about parabens? No. I found one article from 2015 that was like, we found these things in either breast tissue or what, but but like that's kind of where it ended. And we can't say that it causes these triggers, but we can't say that it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. And to, to build on that, I, you know, I wish that the same abundance of caution were shown for things like chemicals that stay in people's bodies forever. Right. Um, like, like chemicals that are used to manufacture Teflon that can cause serious birth defects. Like why, why is that not something that is, is paused out of an abundance of caution? Like why are, you know, why is industrial waste not regulated with an abundance of caution? I think that 
I am glad, again, that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is being treated as something that that requires public trust. But I think if people really took a second to think about all of the risk that we are exposed to every day, doing things like taking birth control, having a baby, not having a baby, drinking water, going outside and breathing the air, like... I just wish that we were more cautious about those things. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. You know? I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And um, I also want to add that on Tuesday, the White House announced that April 11th to the 17th of this year is Black Maternal Health Week. Um, America has an egregiously high rate of Black maternal mortality, um, and people have been researching it, and they don't know why exactly it happens. Some of it has to do with systemic racism in the healthcare industry. And uh, some of it has to do with environmental racism of places that, you know, black women live and and what the water they drink and the air they breathe. And so I'm, I'm glad that the White House is emphasizing black maternal health. Um, I also want to add that there's a bill in Congress called the Black Maternal Health Momnibus, which is cute. It's cute. I love the word. Catchy. Play. It addresses the crisis and it will direct the Department of Health and Human Services to address maternal health outcomes among minority populations. And that's something that we need to have passed. Yeah, I really think it's about time. It's about time. I think that it's pretty important because like the the numbers are truly egregious and um, tragic and really unbefitting of a country that thinks that it's the best at anything. Um, so if you want this passed, you should call your congressperson and let them know you want them to support the bill. The number for the switchboard is 202-224-3121. I think I almost have that number memorized. Isn't it on a shirt we have? It is on a shirt. <laughs> it is on a shirt we have. People who have been around me should also have that number memorized. Um, okay. I want to talk about one more quick thing. So this week, Fox News host Jesse Waters, one of the most annoying men in America. Truly. Truly, truly a deeply irritating person. Everything about him is obnoxious. But he is a new dad, which is not inherently obnoxious. I wish the best for that child. <laughs> um, he's been on paternity leave from his job co-anchoring The Five at Fox, one of Fox News's least watchable shows, which says a lot. But he called it on Fox News to say that he is now pro-paternity leave. He used to mock people for taking paternity leave. He used to think it was a big ruse, but now he wishes he could take six weeks. Mm. Now, Jesse Waters isn't the only conservative who has decided that something is good when it affects them personally. Mitch McConnell has come out in support of uh, an agreement on an anti-Asian American hate crime bill. He wants to get the bill through the Senate, um, because, quote, as a proud husband of an Asian American woman, I think this discrimination against Asian Americans is a real problem. Now, thank you, Mitch, for Thanks, being on the right side of history here. But like, could you could you use your imagination to think about it as a real problem if you weren't married to an Asian person? You know what the GOP through line here is, is that like they don't give anyone the benefit of the doubt. They think that anybody who is flagging a problem, who is saying, hey, we should do this, is like a grifter or someone who's got like working an angle. And until it affects them personally, they think it's some sort of like fraud. It's pretty it's like it's actually one of their most disgusting characteristics. 
Yeah, it's a real tell on yourself move. Like if you can't imagine the humanity of someone else until it happens to you. Now, I want to draw like a little bit of a distinction here because um, when Meghan McCain said that she was in favor of maternity leave, I think we said like, yeah, you know, however we can get people on our side, we want people on our side. I think there's a difference between Meghan McCain and Jesse Waters here. And here's what it is. Um, Meghan McCain was allowed to take maternity leave And when she was taking it, she was thinking about all the women who can't. Correct. And then she came back to the show and she said, all women should be able to do what I did. Yes. So it wasn't like, let's do this because I need it. It was like, I had it. I see now how important it is. Let's make it a cause of the view to try to get this for all women. And, you know, again, I'm not going to say everything that Meghan McCain has said about maternity leave is something I agree with, but I think it's a little bit different than Jesse Waters, who's like, I used to think those guys were fucking whips. Now I think it's fine. You know? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's like, way to go, guys. Mitch. Yeah. Like, like the fact that Mitch, here's the other thing, is that like Mitch McConnell, like we all know that Elaine Chow is of Asian descent, but he literally had to like say it out loud. Like, I am doing this because my wife is Asian and therefore hate crimes are terrible. Were they not terrible? Like when you say it out loud, don't you like it's proof that they have no there's no mechanism in their brain that actually functions, because if they did, they'd be like, you know what? I don't have to say that part out loud. (laughs) Right. You don't need to as a everything. Yes. You know, like that's exactly can leave the as a out. I also think the flip side of that is that they there is a there's a widespread assumption on the right that unless something impacts you personally, you won't like people won't care. So like they they don't care unless something impacts them personally. Ergo, nobody will care unless it impacts them personally. And I have a theory that that is why some of their pet issues to to get their base fired up are things that really tragically affect a relatively small number of people because they expect that everybody else will just let those people get thrown under the bus. Here's an example. 20-week abortion bans. 20-week abortions are very rare. They affect Mm -hmm. relatively few people compared to the number of abortions overall in this country. Uh, But Republicans love attacking it because I feel like the undercurrent is, well, who cares? You know, it's not, it's probably not going to affect you. You know, it's right. Can't you just get on, get on board? It's probably not going to affect you. Same thing with the the stuff about um, gender affirming treatment for trans kids that compared to the, the U S population overall, there's not that many kids who are trans. And so I think the people on the right feel like they can go ahead and beat up on that population because who is actually personally affected? Like, Right. Well, also, like, do you think that uh, old Jesse Waters thinks that the employees at the Bessemer plant, the Amazon plant in Alabama deserve paternity leave? No, no. Or just or just his co-hosts. <laughs> I think that what he imagines paternity leave for is people who would also be used in a police lineup alongside Jesse Waters. You know? Yes. <laughs> kind of like cheesy, prematurely elderly white men, I think, is sort of what he wants. But that's a catty thing for me to say, but I I don't care. Meow. Um, okay. So uh, I'm sure this is not going to be the first time we talk about this, but it's, it, we just, we just want to, we just want to put a stake in the ground and be like, we noticed this guys. We saw you. <laughs> we see you. And uh, again, we'll take people on the right side of history, but also can you please just like use your thinking caps a little bit to try to turn up the empathy? Okay. 
Uh, on to toasts and roasts. We just have one toast this week. Um, and this is a, is, this is a pretty serious one. Um, I want to toast the men, women, and children who have testified at Derek Chauvin's trial. I'm not going to name the people who are children just because that's just my, my personal preference. There were three teenage girls and one nine-year-old who witnessed Derek Chauvin murder George Floyd, who testified during the trial. Um, the teenage girls, like being in a trial is scary. I'd imagine. So I can't. Like, that's the thing we can't even imagine because we've certainly not had to do it. And they just, I mean, I can't imagine knowing, first of all, what they witnessed and then having to relive it in that atmosphere, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and knowing that if they didn't, it could mean that he goes free, mm -hmm. right? Like, that's what they have to know. And that's pretty fucking wild. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not even just being on the stand. It's like, sitting down with the attorney and reliving it right. with the, with the attorney. It's like preparing for the trial. It's the media attention. And that's so much to ask of people who are just children when this happened. And I just think that those kids are so brave. I also want to compliment and toast Genevieve Hansen, who is an yeah. off-duty EMT who was not taking it at all from the defense attorney so much so that she got reprimanded by the judge. Um, I really love Genevieve Hansen's spirit here. I love that she just did not just took no shit. Um, and so she was, she was great. Um, also, uh, felonious Floyd, uh, George Floyd's brother, he took the stand earlier this week and his testimony was really heartbreaking and it was mm -hmm. obviously really emotionally difficult for him to be up there. And I just, it, it, it I, I cannot imagine the strength it took for him to do that. So no, and it's and I was very interested too in how it was explained. I think it having him testified is called something like a spark of life testimony, which is meant to paint the person who is deceased as a human being and and all the the life that has lived and how much he will be missed. And uh, watching him endure that on national television, having to look at Derek Chauvin is uh, it's more than I think either of us could have managed. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, toast to all those people who, and Oh, also, you know, I was, I read a lot of those people who testified, the experts who testified for the prosecution, mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't take payment. And normally a, yes. an expert witness gets a ton of money for being an expert witness. And a lot of them just did it on, I think they all did it on their own free will. They did it on their own time. They did. And when you look at it, I mean, the fact that like the pulmonologist, Dr. Tobin, uh, I think he testified for something like seven hours straight. Mm -hmm. That's and he and and was asked about whether he was being paid, and he said, "I didn't think it was mm -hmm. right." Yeah. So toast to all those people. That that takes a lot. And before we move on, um, not far from where Derek Chauvin's trial is being held in Minneapolis, another tragedy occurred at the hands of police with the senseless killing of Dante Wright during a traffic stop. So if you want to hear more, um, I recommend listening to. Our crooked media colleagues, Akila Hughes and Gideon Resnick, on Tuesday's episode of What a Day, they had some really informative and great coverage. So check that out. You can download that wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have an interview with labor writer Kim Kelly. Welcome back. Today, we are welcoming back organizer, journalist, labor columnist, and the worker's friend, Kim Kelly, in a new segment we're calling, wait, what happened? 
So Kim, <laughs> the last time we had you on, you explained the significance of the Amazon union vote. Uh, results of that vote came in last week. So Kim, wait, what happened? <laughs> it's a whole thing. And, um, I, it's There are some shades of the last election in a way where it took a while to figure out what was going on. A lot of people aren't happy, but eventually it's going to work out. So the, the votes came in. This, this was a mail-in election. The NLRB had to count everything. They... It took like a week and a half to get there, right? Because first, there were all these challenge ballots to deal with. The employer, Amazon, and the union are able to challenge ballots for whatever reason. Usually it's like, you know, the signature was wrong or, you know, th- this was folded weird. Like very small, silly things. But whatever, for some reason, that's that's part of it. A lot of challenge ballots. We finally got to the public counting uh, point where a lot of people were watching on Zoom and it was just like this torturous hours long ordeal where they're like, yes, no, yes, no, putting paper ballots in bins. That all happened. And um, eventually what shook out was the vote count did not go in the union's favor. It was like the official recording was like 1700 something to 700 something. And now I will say that I know for a fact that a lot of the challenge ballots, about 400 of those, there were yes votes. So it was it, it still wasn't a win, but it was a lot closer than it might have seen on paper if you're watching the New York Times tracker. So, yeah, so they didn't win this round, but they're already the union is planning to mount legal challenges there because they're very certain. And so are a lot of people who have been following along that Amazon broke the law with their union busting campaign. So it's the first chapter is closed, but now there's going to be legal challenges. They're going to be rerunning the election. They're not backing down, essentially. So it's it wasn't the clean victory that a lot of us were hoping for, but it's not, you know, they didn't get crushed. They just got hit with a pretty big setback. Kim, for the workers who voted against the union, why do you think they did that? What was it play? Man, Amazon is very good at what they do. We know that. And when they decided to launch a probably multi-million dollar anti-union campaign at this one warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, they had every resource imaginable. They hired, you know, $3,200 a day anti-union consultants to hold these captive audience anti-union meetings that workers got pulled into for weeks on end. This was before the union was really even able to make headway there because they couldn't, they weren't allowed on the company property. They they weren't usually in a union organizing campaign. You have meetings, you have, you know, you bring people together. We're in the middle of a pandemic. So all the, and the workers weren't comfortable with that. So all the union meetings were much smaller, like 10 people at a time for safety. And while that was all happening, Amazon had access to people 24 hours a day. They were sending them text messages. They are sending them, they were calling them. They're hounding them on the floor. They're pulling them into these, these meetings and essentially, Amazon got a head start and they hammered home all their anti-union points. They scared people. They lied to them and told them, you'll lose your benefits. Maybe we'll shut down the warehouse. The union just wants your money. They're a chicken plant union. They can't do anything for you. They just used every tool in their arsenal and they created a few more, like messing with the traffic lights or installing this illegal mailbox in front of the facility. They, I mean, it was a David and Goliath fight and Goliath is pretty fucking big. He's got a lot of fucking, you know, if you're coming up, if you're, you know, to, to follow that analogy, if you're going up against a giant with a, a sling full of stones, and meanwhile, they're like the richest company ever and can hire endless amounts of people to, to bust your union. Like it's, it's hard. It's an uphill battle. And this is something we're used to seeing when you go up against these massive corporations. We're used to seeing this in under-resourced parts of the South. It wasn't 
it wasn't a huge surprise. Of course, it was heartbreaking, but you know, pe- labor organizers and, and pundits have who have been watching are like, well, yeah, we kind of thought that would happen, but we really mm-hmm. hoped it wouldn't. So, um, are there any encouraging signs to be taken from the Amazon union vote? And what are some lessons that the labor movement can get from this vote? And then also just an individual that's listening that might be at a workplace that is going through a union drive. Like what's encouraging and what are the takeaways? Right. I mean, I think it's huge. They even, you know, they've already made history. They've captured so much attention, gotten so much momentum. And, you know, for people in this country, we don't necessarily talk about unions as much as we should because union density is so low because Reagan and his buddies crushed it decades ago. You know, the fact that this was one of the biggest stories in the country and that people were paying attention, they were tuning in. They're not only seeing, you know, the facts of what it's like to work at Amazon and the human cost that goes into those, you know, you can get your package in a day, convenience. Now they've, they've heard from people and they know what how hard it is and how degrading and dehumanizing that job can be because Jeff Bezos is allowed to do basically whatever he wants. They also saw what can happen when you work collectively with your coworkers and you sit and you stand up and say, this ain't going to fly. Like, this isn't okay. We need to do something. I think it will be hugely inspirational for people. I know that the union has already gotten phone calls and messages from over a thousand workers across the country asking, you know, how can we get in on this? You know, and I think the fact that, you know, they got slapped down. In, in this particular fight, that doesn't mean that's the end of the line. It just means that the next one will be even bigger. And the next one after that will be even bigger. Like this is, they're part of this. It's, it's, a, it's not a straight line. It's kind of a winding path. And this is, you know, this is a big, big stop on the side of the road, but we're going to keep going forward. And the workers I talked to down there, like they're not giving up. They're not discouraged. Twitter was absolutely inundated with hot takes and a lot of mourning and scorning as it was all going down. But the people, like I was in Birmingham last last weekend and people were just like, you know, like, yeah, I was disappointed. I was sad, but my coworkers still need me. Like people across the country still need us to do this. So we're just going to have to keep going. Like you can't give up. And I think people who are working in warehouses now and see this, I mean, if this group of workers in Bessemer, Alabama could get this far against Amazon, farther than anyone's ever gotten, that just means that hopefully someone else watching will be like, oh, well, then maybe we can finish the job. Maybe we can build on what they built here. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's it's not an end. It's a beginning. And I think that's something that's really important to emphasize. Oh, Kim, thank you so much. Uh, where can our listeners follow along with updates on this story and other labor-related stories? Well, I'm going to keep covering it. I'm uh, I'm freelance, so I'm kind of all over the place. But you can always find me on Twitter at Grim Kim. And there are a lot of really great labor reporters who've been who have been reporting on it. I think we're going to keep hearing about this. And I really hope, as a media person, as a, as a union person, that the amount of media attention that was trained on this in the beginning and during the election, I hope that is sustained and people keep paying attention because this shit ain't over and we can't let Amazon win. Kim Kelly, thank you so much. We can't wait to have you back and have you explain uh, the next phase of this story. Hopefully we have some better immediate news then. Cross fingers, you know. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. 
Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, (laughs) not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Alyssa and I are now joined by two wonderful women that, and we're all going to hang out. We're all, four of us are going to hang out and it's going to be really fun. And you're going to be hanging out too, but you are going to be sitting there silently enjoying us talking as though you're too tired to participate, which is like (laughs) the ideal way to take in podcasts. Um, First up, a woman who needs no introduction, but I'm going to give her one anyway. She is a writer and quite possibly your best friend in your imagination, Riri Cheney. That was about me? Oh, that was about you. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Mm, Guys. How you been, Riri? I'm real, you know, just vibing. Uh, Just LA's decided to June gloom it in April. Mm -hmm. So I'm really pushing through... Uh, just my uh, anger of ev- that I have every year of like I moved here for specific reasons, and, yeah. <laughs> and every time it betrays me, I get upset. Um, and I'm wearing my most political shirt, my Teen Simone Drag Race T-shirt right now. So <laughs> <laughs> we're doing it. Well, I mean, we do get political on here frequently, but that might be a little too political. I know. I really felt that like today was the day to really show what I feel. <laughs> <laughs> um. Have you gotten vaxxed yet, Riri? Um, yes, she's whole vaxxed, all heart, can't lose. Um, is nice. that how it works? Yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been good. I I think I told you guys I was supposed to be on the pod two weeks ago, but uh, the the vax took me down. 
<laughs> she took her down. She was she was too sensitive. And I like to say it took her down for like one day. And then the next day it was just like emotional watching Pushing Daisies. Um, oh, yeah. It's been thing. it's been great. It's been. But you guys know, like our lives are very um, when you're working, you're out. But oftentimes you're just like hustling at home. So my life hasn't changed that much, except I'm going like fully to get the oatmeal pancakes at Salt's Cure rather than like standing outside <laughs> and, like, <laughs> waiting for them to come outside. Uh, well, just a confession to all of you. I got my second Pfizer yesterday Ooh. and I feel like I somehow got like punched in the arm mm-hmm. real hard by like the, a very strong person. Mm. And then also I somehow I'm hungover, even though I didn't drink yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that's, it's that's, a great feeling. That's progress. That's the feeling yeah. <laughs> of moving forward in your life. So you did it. Yeah. I mean, this feels a lot better than having COVID. So I'll take this any day. Okay. Any day. Um, I am so excited to welcome our very special guest panelist this week. She hosted season one of Netflix's The Circle, that show where contestants weren't allowed to be around other people and Ooh. had to compete for popularity exclusively through social media apps. Who could have known in the innocent days of 2019 that would one day be all of us? She's also an actor who you've probably seen in Someone Great, Isn't It Romantic, Sell By, and Always Be My Maybe. She's also the author of Survival of the Thickest, which is out now wherever you buy books. Her comedy special, Welcome to Butopia, such a good name, is available on Netflix. Welcome, Michelle Bateau. It's made me so tired. Look at all that shit I'm doing. So many W10s to fill out. Listen, you guys are talking about your second shot. I just got my second shot two days ago. And I think about 15 minutes ago, I only started to feel better. Like, and I've been doing a dry April Mm -hmm. because I did... I try to do a dank January and then it was just, if the bottle's open, <laughs> a just, marshy. you know, mm-hmm. we got to get through it. But now mm-hmm. I'm trying to do a dry April, May. So I'm like a lightweight this summer. And also, so I have the one chin. I don't give a shit about my gut, but it's just like the chin. I can cover <laughs> the gut. I'm fine with I've always had to tell me, but the chin, it just looks like my mom and I am a mom now. And I'm like, absolutely fucking not. You know what I mean? My chin is probably more suffer than people's booty. Like, I always feel bad for people with the flat booty. But you can get the little underwear to lift it. Mm. But the chin, there's no, I shouldn't have like a double chin. Anyways, but I am about body positivity <laughs> until it comes to your chin. I feel like Ed from 90 Day Fiance where I'm just like, who is she? Just a ripple of face. <laughs> Wait, there was no question. You just said uh, hi. Hello! You did it. Yeah, Hello. you did it. You really did it. It's so good to see you, bitches. This is what the view should be like. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, this is the view, bitch. It's just, it's an open-ended question. The question is, good day, sir. And then you just go. It's just like and my husband the fuck up with me. He's just like, who are you talking to? I know it's not me anymore. (laughs) It's like to be a partner is to witness my life and to witness my life is for me to speak. What the fuck is going on? What in the Instagram inspirational quote are you Mm. staring? Honey. Yes. Yes. I'm going to drop. I love that. You're like, do I use you should like, it's got shoulder pads. I am here for the (laughs) fancy. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, because I, I mentioned this to the ladies before. I forgot I was doing, I forgot to cancel my working out this morning. So I am still sweating. I love <laughs> that though. I mean, I forgot to cancel my working out is probably the most LA thing I've ever heard besides I'm going to kill myself and throw myself down on my fake grass, which is what Jade Catapretta <laughs> said to me. And now she hosts the soup. So look guys, dreams do come true. I mean, progress. I think it's There's, going to Cafe Gratitude and saying, you are blessed. You are thankful. Here's and yeah, don't forget to tip. <laughs> you know what, um, yeah. Alyssa, I just have to ask. The lint situation on your microphone is giving me anxiety. What? How can you see girl, it? I got, no, eyes. I got eyes, girl. Yeah, all right, shut up. Okay, I tried to take it off already. I have a gazillion cats. They're all white. That's why you can Look, see it. I've used the lint brush. White it doesn't cats work. Matter. So what? That's why. What? White cats don't, matter. Don't oh, make shit. me bring him in. I don't love make it. Me bring him in. This- my ro- my my <laughs> first and last roommate in New York City had an all white cat named Cocaine. That's amazing. And I was like, can we can we call her Coco? <laughs> oh yeah, Cocaine is something you don't really want to. See. That's a that's a name for not mixed company. Like you meow know, meow wanna, meow Coke. Yeah, yeah, that's the real. Yeah. That's a bad. Yayo. Yayo would be a cute Ooh. cat name. Cocaine even better. Yayo. Um. <laughs> Okay, so, so Michelle, this is a so so Michelle and I worked together like eight years ago. Two thousand thirteen was uh, eight years ago. Yeah, it was eight years. Was it twelve? Math. Yes. Oh, we're in two. No, it's two thousand twenty-one. Yeah, it was like eight years ago. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. We were... Really quickly, Michelle, it's two thousand twenty-one. Um, and I just wanted to repeat what? that for you. And the so Christmas hits. past yeah. is going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We worked together eight years ago and we used to work together to put together a segment called Panties On, Panties Off, where Michelle would read demented lines about whether or not something that had happened in pop culture that week was sexy or not. It was was like a thumbs up, thumbs down, (laughs) but for for the sassy, big titty bitches. Mm. (laughs) Emotionally, emotionally, sassy, big titty bitches. If you have emotional heavy naturals, you need to be like seen in the public as well. So I think yes. Yes, 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 yes. I've always wanted a TA, a titty assistant. Come on, you guys. They're so heavy. They're so heavy. Ooh, mama. Um, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, first of all, when Michelle and I worked together, this was literally how every time we tried to shoot anything went, it went, it devolved into madness <laughs> just every single time and it was great fun and it was uh it was really wonderful and it's been great to see you do so well like it just seems like your career is just kind of it's like a giant snowball rolling down a hill and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it's so cool to see that happening for you um so in your book you write a little bit about the concept of the prime of a person's life mm-hmm. and i would love to hear like what do you think we mean when we say the prime of your life and what do you think of as the prime of your life? Or do you think it's like a time that's TBD? I mean, yeah, the prime, right? My mom always talks about her prime and my aunties and um, actors I run into on set who always want to show an old picture of themselves, you know, uh, like in high school or their early twenties. And it, it always confused me and made me feel conflicted because um, I was such a hot mess in my early twenties. You know, I looked older. 
Uh, I really feel like a Puerto Rican Benjamin Button where I'm aging backwards. Um, <laughs> I took myself too seriously. Plus I was plus size and the only clothes I could get were like very um, conservative clothes, you know, at Ann Taylor Loft or something. So I always look like a bank teller bad at math. I was just like, <laughs> just out in the world. And so I was just like the prime, you know, I'm like, Everybody I talk to, their prime, even men, their prime is when they were young and beautiful and thin. But what if you were never thin? Then what is your prime? And so, like other things in my life, you know, whether it is um, sexuality or race or whatever, I, however I have to identify myself to the world, I have to make my own definition. And I realized I had to do that with my prime. And I'm like, fuck, you know, going through five years of IVF, still trying to play happy clown, still trying to keep it together for my husband and myself. I'm just like, shit, my prime is that I got pep in my step and breath in my body and someone to love me and a hand to hold and that I can define my happiness. So I was like, we need to redefine prime, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. because it, it isn't just about wearing a bikini. What if you never wanted to wear a bikini, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I just started getting more and more, as I was writing this book, I just got more and more upset with my mom. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me to do better? Like, it was always like, you know, be kind, be polite, don't question, don't be too loud, um, straighten your hair, cover your freckles, you know, just be this docile fucking bitch that is not me. And um, yeah, it, it was a fucking journey. I, I really had to edit that book. And because and, I just sounded like a thick hoe that didn't like her mom. You know what I mean? And I was like, we need to go through it and really figure out what we want to say. But um, yeah, you know, if, if my mom, if society would have told me, you know, you could be anything you want to be, you could be um, the first female president instead of like, don't forget to get bikini body ready then like, who knows what America would look like. But, you mm -hmm. know, and then writing this book too, I was just like, oh, the patriarchy is fucking ridiculous. It really makes me want to move. I've actually applied for dual citizenship for the kids to Holland. Cause I'm like, they're just like a generation ahead where it's just like, they're like, oh, we did that racist shit. Sorry that we invented slavery, but you know what? <laughs> all the countries we colonize, all y'all can come in. What is what's a Buddha? Don't worry about it. Healthcare, of course, get your pap smear, bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything uh, is sort of like available to everybody. I'm like, God, what a life to live where you know everybody is sort of on the same page and you don't even have to like prove that racism is still a motherfucking thing. They yeah. just know it's just fucking exhausting. And so America just feels like the Costco of countries where I'm just like, we don't need all these aisles. <laughs> it's not, it's not even Costco. This is like a Ross bar bargain bin of situations that is highly flammable. Even Filene is like, Filene's oh. <laughs> not it. Filene's like, get the fuck out. Girl, oh God. You know what? Here's the thing. I think I answered the question. I don't remember the question anymore. You did great. <laughs> you got to reel a bitch in because <laughs> you did, you did, you did great. I, no, I think letting, you know what you, you were in J school, right? Or you were, you wanted to be a journalist at one point, right? Yes. Is that what you call like, it? J school? Well, journalism school. Yes. Um, yes. I didn't, I didn't go 
that's a good way to get into debt. But one of the <laughs> tricks for when I was like interviewing people as a journalist is just let them keep talking and just be quiet, <laughs> just be quiet. Cause the wildest shit I've ever gotten anyone to say is if I just sit there quietly and let them keep talking. So, I mean, you, you, if you had some skeletons in your closet would be a real wild interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Alyssa, I am just building off something Michelle said. Um, she's talking about like your prime being young, being beautiful. Do you think that women like internalize this idea that our prime years are bound by like our reproductive capacity? Like when we're done, when we hit menopause, somehow something is over and we can't, and, and like it's downhill from there. Well, yeah, because I think we, you know, when you hit menopause is when your body starts to change again, right? And so I guess we're just supposed to go and die. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think, and I think it's, is as I'm older, like, just like Michelle was saying, it's like when people talk about their prime, yeah, I was like a lot thinner in my 20s, but I mean, I wasn't happy. I smoked cigarettes to stay skinny. <laughs> Like, how is that good? You know, it's like I went to clubs I hated. I don't like going out. <laughs> I like to be home. And I was going. Alyssa, to you in a club? But Let's imagine do it, it baby. Riri, imagine it. OK, I had an alter ego. Her name was Paloma because I thought it made me more fun. Not in the international <laughs> implications. Yes, you in a I club. had to do it. I had tank top. The pictures of what if if our youth is supposed to be our prime. I have burned almost every picture of me braless in a baby tank top. <laughs> you were like Hilaria Baldwin before Hilaria Baldwin was doing Ooh, what she did. I was what she did. so awful. And I'm now give me my clogs, my leggings. I am yes. happy as a motherfucker. My hair is gray. I don't care. It's like, mm. this is who I am. And guess like, who who's going to fight me? Like that's the thing. Who's gonna check me, boo? Who's gonna check me? <laughs> this is a, look yes. at you guys. This isn't an apron. This is something I picked out and put on myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, Riri, I want to go to you real quick. Um, Michelle, like, alluded to the idea that like being in a country where you're just like having to explain why things are fucked up over and over again is sort of like an energy mm. suck. Like, do you think that women who are in, in any way marginalized, have a more difficult time finding their prime because they're spending so much time trying to explain to people to be less bullshit? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does that, how is that affected? How is that affected? No, baby, I got a real answer. That yeah, was just okay. funny because yeah. I knew you were going to have that reaction to it. Yeah, I mean, it is because it's like, it's, it's just another fucking thing, you know? And by it's how you're perceived, how you want to like articulate what you want or what you might be confused by or where or how you might want help from the people around you, add to it that if you're brown, if you're different and you're loud and you have to police the way you express yourself, mm. that shit is really tiring mm -hmm. because it's between having to like code switch for the dudes who tell you that, oh, I like this dress better than this dress that you wore the other day. It's like, I was feeling thickums that day, but today I thought I looked good. And now I have to like rethink how I present myself in this space versus like having to, I'm a writer, having to like often be the only brown person in a room. And have to explain, like, y'all know this is, like, national implications what we say about race right now because some kids might watch it. But I'm just trying to be, like, a creative person who's trying to, like, move her career and, like, stack her paper. 
that's really that's really hard and it and it adds to the exhaustion it adds to like I wish I was just out here just like sopping up serums you know like I wish I was just I my my boobs look the best they have ever looked right now do can I just congratulations thank you but I feel like I can't thrive in that because it's like I also have to like find GoFundMes and and uh, funds and make sure that like my family's getting vaccinated in Maryland and like all these things because they're brown and not getting the same Twitter information that like my white friends' families are getting. So it's, it is fucking fabulous to be this way. It's like, honey, the melanin, I wish you all, everyone else well, Michelle and I know what we're talking about. But like, other than that, it is this like ongoing weight that I wish there was an unbearable lightness of being that I have Mm -hmm. not reached. And so I wonder, could I have been, could I have learned who I am sooner Mm -hmm. if I didn't feel like I always had to extra, extra watch who I pretended to be or presented myself as rather than just um, show them who you are as my mother used to tell me until she told me to put my tits away because um, <laughs> men kept asking me out. I'm like, I'm 13. That's not my problem. <laughs> I'm realizing that that story is so common with so many people. So many people. I mean, you know, um, gay, straight, questioning, you know, Muslim, like it. so many people are like, if my parents and society would just let me figure out who I was, you know, where would I be now? Yeah. And like the the thing I, Michelle was, when I was reading your book, like the moment of your professor telling you like, you can't be on camera because of your size. Mm -hmm. And what's so crazy, crazy to me is like, I told that to myself because I wanted to say it before anyone else said it. Yeah. So it was this like, so I already had the argument of mm-hmm. I can't be as public or I can't, even though I've studied theater my entire life, I'm going to go this other route because I, they'll accept me doing that. Yeah. It's like protecting and, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if I put the shield up first, which is so insane to me now mm-hmm. when I like, I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me right now. And so she just finished college and she's making her plans and she's, so so sweetly dumb sometimes and I'm so proud of her but it's a lot of her being like sissy what do you think I should do I'm like what do you want to do (laughs) do you want to go take that class honey I got funds I'm right now just living as a like single rich aunt do you want (laughs) to go like go travel what do you want to do be you don't let these old people like cut your shine but I wasn't, I didn't have that for myself because everyone wants you to be as great as you can be. And the only way you can, folk can see your prime is in the shadow of what they thought there should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a kind of tug of war between like, what is your prime? Is it what other people decide for you? Or is it you coming to a place of like self-acceptance and being like, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. And I feel like people decide for you that your prime is when you're young. And I feel like when I was going out of college and into my 20s, I felt like an immense amount of pressure. Like this is going to be the best time in my life. I'm never going to look better. This is when I figure everything out. This is when Mm -hmm. I meet the person I'm going to marry. This is when I'm going to do this, do this, do this and do this. And fuck, no, it's not. I mean, it can be. For some people, but the pressure we put on ourselves 
to like invisibly embody the primeness of like what's expected of being in your 20s in like a teen show from the mm-hmm. 90s is like it's it's a ridiculous or the fifties or the fifties. It's like crazy. Yeah, like, where'd y'all get that down payment from? Just because, like Norman Lear wrote it, like it just doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make any type of sense. Also, for anyone watching, listening, all of those teen shows were played by people in their mid twenties. It doesn't work yeah. out that way. And you force yourself into those. Like I graduated, I immediately went into Weight Watchers because I was like, I'm moving to LA, so I gotta like lose weight. I got came here like the lightest I'd been since high school, and I was miserable because I just was like hustling for other folk. And a vodka tonic used to cost eleven dollars, <laughs> and I was making less than that an hour. Mm-hmm. I was like, it was really frustrating. But I think, like Aaron, to your point, it's or your question. I think now that I'm a little older and I'm sure I'll have another opinion about it the next decade, the next decade. But I think like it is something that has to be in you. Mm-hmm. It has to you have to decide. Do you feel do you feel healthy? Do you feel happy? Mm-hmm. Do you feel safe? That's a big one. Yeah. Like safe in the relationships you have, the friendships you have, the professional like aspirations you're going through. Because sometimes, yeah, you need that twinge of like, I need to keep moving. But sometimes yes. you're acting out of pocket because you don't feel like you are being taken care of or being loved or feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And to your point, with all those things, it's also like learn how to fucking deal with rejection too, right? Mm-hmm. Getting to the don't tell yourself no before someone tells you no. Ask that person out. Tell that person you want that job. And if they say no, somebody else will say yes. But Mm -hmm. keep saying yes to yourself. Yeah, That's like, I don't even know. You know, I have friends in their 50s who are still fucking learning. Like, you know, I don't know when the fuck that happens. That's just really a personal fucking journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Alyssa, I wonder like how you view like the potential of your prime to just get more i guess primey like as you get older oh. do you vi- do you envision the rest of your life oh every decade f- is going to be better than the one before it because when i was 20 i couldn't imagine what my 30s would be like and then i got to my 30s it's kind of i hate to invoke carrie bradshaw but when, yes! but when she was like and you guys correct me if i'm wrong the I 20s will. Are for making the mistakes. Yes. The 30s, the 30s are for learning the lessons. And the 40s are for buying the drinks. Okay. At a girl. And I that watched it this week. Is not <laughs> wrong. Like when I was in my 20s, and also think about this. For all of the jobs I've had, for all the things I've done, 10 years earlier, I never even knew they were possible. When I was in my 20s, I didn't know what a deputy White House chief of staff was. When I was in my 30s, I didn't think I could ever write a book. You know, when I was in my late 30s, I didn't think I could have a jam empire in upstate New York. Yes, my jams are being (laughs) sold now by a a, a posh local inn. And so, you know, for me, the baby boom is going. Listen to me. That is my 100 percent inspiration for my 50s and 60s. And so Are you in Hudson Valley? Now I just have to know. Yes, I'm in Hudson Valley. I'm in Columbia County. And so it's like nothing a white lady in a shawl can listen to me. I am unstoppable. (laughs) But like, you know what? I look at Frances McDormand if I'm looking for white lady inspo. And I'm like, you know what? She looks in the mirror. She fucking loves what she sees. And other people may be like, maybe you should do Botox. She's like, don't need it. I don't need Mm -hmm. it. I don't need it. I just 
I need to grow the bangs out. Okay, that's enough, that I do. I do. I got to grow the bangs out and I'd like to lose five pounds so that my <laughs> leggings don't leave a mark when I take them off. But other than that, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. And I just think that like every year, I was so scared of turning 40. I thought it was like over. I'm like, oh my God, this is it. It's fucking great. 40 is great. It's all... <laughs> It all just gets better because you learn the lessons. You can buy the drinks yeah. when we can once again convene. <laughs> yeah. Oh and there's God. power in saying it. It's so annoying when people lie about their age. I'm just like, ew, that is just a red flag for me. I'm like, figure out who you are and then double tap my picture. Also, I'll be over after here this my last life. year, I'm fucking <laughs> glad to be alive. Really am. Truly. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly. Truly. Where is my tambourine? I did not know we were doing church. <laughs> well, it's that's the funny thing, too, about like we've, you know, theoretically been inside this whole year and folk who are like, I've had two inside birthdays. I was like, good. You did. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> what, what I have a whole I'm like, I have a whole uh, system of young homosexual men who all had to turn 30 in quarantine and they did not deal with that well spiritually. <laughs> and I'm just like, yes, you're a Leo. We will have the party this year. But please be thankful that your body ass made it. Mm-hmm, so trust. and I think that's like being able to say that to like face what's been going on but in a realistic but thankful way i am very i think that's wonderfully prime of us you know like as someone who has seen the movie prime starring uma thurman and meryl streep many many times <laughs> yeah all we can do is just like keep talking it out in therapy saying what you need and like moving towards that because if you're not if you're not you're not doing yourself justice cuz you only get one shot at this fucker, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about the pandemic emergence thing and I've been seeing a lot of people talking about like they gained weight during pandemic and they feel bad about it or like, you know, they're they've got like some stress acne or whatever and they feel bad about it and like I feel like everybody going into this summer should view it as the prime just because like you guys are saying we all made it. And who fucking care? No, literally nobody cares how you look. Everybody's just going to be happy to see you. And very horny. Get yours while the getting's good. <laughs> it's just. I know. I've, I've been, I've had such bad timing. I got married last October like an idiot. Oh, <laughs> like an just, idiot. But um, just a man who'll go to canyons with you all the time. So horrible. <laughs> we just like <laughs> rappel into canyons and like run through the desert and stuff. It's like, uh, you know, normal stuff. Um, yeah. So I want to kind of wrap this up uh, by talking a little bit about Khloe Kardashian. I think this is the first time we've ever talked about the Kardashians on this podcast. I have not seen a single episode of that show. Oh, and I have. I saw, I've seen many. I mean, it doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It just is a thing about pop culture that I just missed. I just didn't. It just, whoop, it's, mm-hmm, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, you know, this past week, Khloe Kardashian, there was kind of a a kind of a uproar on social media uh, because sometimes we need to get upset about stupid shit. There's a lot of real shit in the world. Here's some stupid shit. So Khloe Kardashian had a photo posted to her on social or posted of her on social media. And she is not airbrushed. She's not wearing a ton of makeup. It's not what Khloe Kardashian, the brand looks like. And apparently she tried to get those pictures taken down by social media sites. People were getting their Twitter uh, accounts frozen because they were posting the photo. Um, And then she later posted the photo herself and explained that she'd always been made to feel shitty because she was larger than her sisters. And even though she looks beautiful and happy in the photo, she still felt ashamed of it. So I just was wondering what you all think about how 
social media kind of makes us attached to like a fake version of our prime. Like, do you edit photos? Do you ever look at a photo and, and put it up because you look, you think you look skinnier than you normally look, or you think that your boobs look better than you normally look or like, like what's the, what's the line between just being like, this is a flattering picture of me. And this is me being pathologically attached to like what people expect to see on social media. Michelle, I would love to hear what you think about the whole Chloe thing. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like living, um, in that box. I just have no idea what it's like living in that. And it's since she was born. So even if they, you know, weren't infamous with this, you know, with their whole, whatever they do and, <laughs> and the shows and stuff, I know it's like, I, I know, I know they're moguls. I, I love her good American jeans, great fit, but American make up all of, all of it. But um, I can't imagine what that's like. And um, even when you're in it, you can't fully describe what that's like. The only way you can describe what that lifestyle is like is if you are out of it for years and years and years, and then you get to look back and be like, oh, that's what that was like. When you're in it, you just, you don't know. That's just your world, right? I have no idea. I have no idea what it's like to be so married to social media that it makes or breaks um, your spirit. I, I, I'm 43. I've had um, a whole ass life without social media. I know what it's like to actually confront someone face to face. I know what it's like to have to tell someone that they've been shitty and not just leave it in a comment and like move on with my day. So for me, if I'm posting something that I'm proud of, that I think is real, like I know that people will, you know, I'm responsible with my words. I think a lot of people should. That doesn't mean that you can't be opinionated. It doesn't mean that you can't be funny or whatever the fuck, right? But, you know, I just feel like most people need to take responsibility. Um, and it's not even just what they're putting out there. It's how for themselves, it's like, mm -hmm. if, if this is how you see yourself, then that means you're not really happy with yourself and then take responsibility for that. So I feel like overall, especially hosting a show that is a game with social media, it's, you know, it's mental health first, man. It's like, how do you fucking feel? Are you okay? Why are you completely just depressed today because someone said something to you? And I and this isn't just adults, this is teenagers too. Um, because your TikToks didn't get enough views or whatever the fuck it is. And so, you know, and this is why people catfish. I mean, also to like, you know, make money, but a lot of people that go into the game for the circle that catfish as well are like well, people really don't respond to an older person or, you know, no one really likes a butch lesbian or I'll make more friends if I'm femme. And that is the saddest shit to fucking hear because, you know, my message at the end of the book is my message in life all the time is that you are enough. You are always fucking enough. And if someone can't see that, then they are not worth your fucking time. And so, you know, sure, there's a lot of like shit to sort of, you know, go through on social media, like, you know, your pets, your food, whatever. But, you know, when you're posting something of yourself, you know, just be mindful, take a beat, think about what you want to say. I don't even remember what the damn question was. <laughs> you did it. 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 
I did, I you got it. I absolutely did it. Did it. You absolutely and did it. Being confident in yourself, knowing that you did it. You absolutely <laughs> did. You did a like triple axle where you just like weren't even looking and you landed on one foot. Yeah, you did. Um, oh no, that sounds like I hurt myself. Oh, your <laughs> knees, not in this knee climate out here. <laughs> Get the fish um, oil. I need the fish oil, girl. Every day. Um, Alyssa, I wanted to. Michelle brought up something interesting that was like catfishing, which is on the show The Circle, which I watched and was fascinated by, and then I lived for an entire year because we all were stuck inside. Um, but do you think that like misrepresenting yourself in social media is a form of catfishing? Like, is it a form of catfishing to edit the fuck out of your photos? No. No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just think... think it's just like emotionally catfishing yourself? Kind maybe? of. It's like, you know, my real experience with catfishing was Mary from Sister Wives. And so um, mm. <laughs> that was... When she got catfished, that was wild. And her and Cody have never been the same. Never been the same. And it's like, if they could, they would get divorced, but she just doesn't want to leave the family. I love that show. They're technically divorced, so he could marry the other one with the brown hair. Robin. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I just, when I think, when people don't represent themselves, when they think that they're representing what they think people want to see, it's like, who are their friends? What's their audience? Like, I guess to me, it's just, it's a fraud, but I don't know if it's catfishing. Mm -hmm. Riri, what do you think? Um, I think that, uh, look, okay. So my Instagram is a very curated look into the life of Riri Chady. And I'm very honest about that. It's when she looking good. It's when she done got her nails done. It's a real situation. My Twitter's honest. My Twitter is who I am. <laughs> um, I do think, the thing that I worry about, I think it's off of Alyssa's thing. It's it's not so much like how other people, are. you're selling yourself to other people, which is something that, you know, the Kardashians feed into and like a lot of other, you know, influencers do of just like making I always worry about like the kids, like what's up with the children thinking that this is actually like the product they're buying when it's at it's filters and all that stuff. But I will say I do get it because I was in this house alone for months and I would put a filter on and then I would look in the mirror. I was like, oh, she is not the same. <laughs> and I had to like talk to myself about like, you know, more filters for a while. No more like taking the auto filter off of Zoom. That was a big thing for a minute. And wow. so I don't. So uh, thank you. Uh, I don't even know what that favors. is. It's yeah, it's not it wasn't great, but it ta- it like added it's a little bit of sheen on what you look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking and, now. Keep going. Okay, but, I'll say- but have you ever met someone off of an app or mm-hmm. um, a social media site and they look completely different in person? I have. I've met people that have looked completely different. I always look the same and I've gotten the thing where they're like, oh, that's really you. And mm-hmm. I was like. So you thought this was a glow up of me? Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) But I have gotten the the I'm much younger. I mean, I'm much older than these photos. I'm using like slightly different photos. Y'all stay happy in in relationships. It is deeply wild out here. Like it is, and and especially, and I think that'll actually be an interesting thing coming out of all of this of like the choices of how to continue to present yourself. Because I think a lot of people made active choices this year, whether for their mental health, for their, you know, narcissism, for all those things, like only showing the good. 
I realized sometimes people would notice Riri has posted many stories of her watching Salt starring Angelina Jolie over the last two days. Maybe I should check it. (laughs) Versus like just posting sunsets. That's not who I was. And I tried to keep it closer to that. But I don't know. I feel like everyone is going to go through some sort of like image PTSD Mm -hmm. situation where I just, y'all, if you try to meet up with people or you try to, if they don't want to have a phone call or video chat quickly, Mm -hmm. watch out because they're they're crafting an image of someone they think will be wanted because they don't believe they're wanted themselves. Mm -hmm. So Michelle, I'm going to let you bring this conversation back to home plate. How do you stay kind to yourself when it comes to the prime of your life? Um, And how would you, what tips would you give to other people who have a hard time being kind to themselves? Damn. You know, I think the biggest thing is um, don't beat yourself up because if you're feeling this way, a lot of people are feeling this way and that's okay not to know. I think there's power in not knowing stuff and admitting that because the minute you admit you don't know something, it's like you could never you'll always keep learning. You can never not know. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't sort of, I probably started doing that around the time we were working at VH1 because mm-hmm. they would have me say and do ridiculous things. I'm like, why? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with questioning things. Why am I saying this? Who says this? And why would she say this? Right. And so mm-hmm. now that I'm um, a mom of um, two-year-old twins um, in quarantine, you know I don't know a lot of things and I had this um this idea of what kind of mom I thought I would be but that's without a a global pandemic and so now I gotta redefine who this bitch is and and it's okay it's okay to not know and have a bad day really just be kind to yourself love on yourself I always tell people like Remember who you were before quarantine, right? And who the best version of yourself you was you were working towards. Who that whoever that person is, they're still in there. Love on that person. Mm-hmm. You no. Know? Well, thank you so much. That's great advice. Um, easier said than done for sure, but it's definitely mm-hmm. good advice. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the things that we are feeling petty about this week. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show, but not quite. This is the part of the show where we talk about things that don't really matter except to us. It's I Feel Petty. But before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. 
Housekeeping, some cool Crooked Store news. We've dropped our first ever pool float that says vaccinated in super fun colors. I'll be taking it to the closest body of water as soon as humanly possible. There are limited quantities available, so get your pre-order in now at crooked.com slash store. Just a, a quick tip here. Uh, I was recently in a place that had giant sand dunes and people were sledding down it in like on regular sleds. I feel like I would slide down a sand dune in a pool float in case water isn't available to you. So uh, that looks super cool. Crooked.com slash store. Okay. The house has been kept. Now let's talk about what we're feeling petty about. Riri, why don't you start us off? Uh, No problem. Um, So the seminal sitcom The Nanny dropped on HBO Max two weeks ago. If you uh, are adjacent to gay Twitter, uh, you will know this. If you not, go enjoy it. It is it ho- it actually holds up. It's pretty wonderful. I'm feeling petty about the way uh, Mr. Sheffield treated uh, Fran Fine for <laughs> five years. I know it's been. 25 years since the show was on, but I'm still feeling a little uh, angsty about it. This man told her she, he loved her twice and took it back before saying it for real. And then we, a CBS audience, had to be like, this is a healthy relationship. <laughs> it was not. Fran Drescher is so fine. Talk about prime of your life. That woman created that show, made that character, and was wearing just Dolce & Gabbana every other week. But even apart from that, the character was wonderful. Took care of his kids, loved him, was supportive of him when he dated other people. Very a good person. And we were supposed to buy that she had to be like, ah, Mr. Sheffield, about someone who like didn't take her seriously. And I think that's fucked up, especially for young girls who are around the age of seven who thought that was what love looked like. And I realized <laughs> that we need to stop putting like relationships where it's like unrequited love of the and the woman is made to seem crazy because someone is showing love but like not articulating it and then she stays in the situation i think it like leads little girls to thinking that like certain things are appropriate when they're older and not asking and demanding for what they need and fucking sick of it because it's 20 years later and i'm still coming out (laughs) thank you (laughs) that show used to be on after i got done with piano lessons and i would wait in the living room while my brother (laughs) took piano lessons and i watched so many episodes of that show and I thought it was like so romantic when I was so little. romantic. He was British, you know, and he had mm. that hair and mm. she was so gorgeous. And then they like really made it mad horny, like around season three, where they would just like kiss every couple episodes. And he would be like, sorry, Miss Fine, that was inappropriate. And she's like, nah, I love you. And it's like, that's not cool because it also is just a wickedly funny show. But like, that's not cool because there are so many examples of it, like between the first four seasons of Grey's Anatomy. Yes, Ruby's just walking through her past. <laughs> like, the. <laughs> Like issues with the Buffy Sp- Buffy Angel situation that that wasn't cool either, and it always makes it that like the girl like by saying the thing is deemed too wacky to be loved, and it's mm-hmm. like no, she takes care of you, she loves you, say it, don't make it uncomfortable for the rest of us. <laughs> Well, that's, I think that's totally fair. And when we build a time machine, (laughs) you can go back to the nineties and fix it. I, you know, there of all of the things I'll go back to do, that would be the first. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about this week? So I don't even live in Los Angeles and I'm really annoyed about the Arclight Theater. 
Um, because mm. so it is closing and has made it almost all the way through COVID. You guys, I read so many articles about this. It's not even entirely clear to me like what its holding company is really doing. Like they took the keys back, but they really anyway, all that aside, where are all the rich Silicon Valley people who bid up sports teams that aren't even good to try to own instead of just like saving this iconic theater, which I actually went to in like the late 90s, early 2000s with one of my girlfriends. And so like, I just, I guess it's like, what are people spending their money on? Like really, really rich people. Like, what are you spending your money on if the, mm. you're going to watch this fall, you know, this like- NDAs, yeah. NDAs. I mean, <laughs> So that was like, that was, I just want to know where the real rich people are right now. Or like the people who are like very rich movie stars. I mean, why wouldn't you want to preserve this? It just, it really, it really bothers me. I think they're driving up the prices of houses by just buying up residential homes for investments, leaving them vacant. And then now it costs a million dollars to buy a house in LA and nobody regular can live here. Guys, mm. LA's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Just, it's so <laughs> oh yeah. I, I like I'm just mad about houses all the time. That's just like an inevitability. Once you hit your late 30s, you just get mad about houses, one reason or another. Um, okay, I'm gonna do my I feel petty now. This week I feel petty. Um I, I feel petty about recliners. When's the last time you sat in a recliner? Everybody had them in their houses prior to the year 2000. How did every male baby boomer not die in them? Those things are fucking dangerous. I recently sat in one for the first time in, I don't know, 20 years. And you immediately sit back and you like feel like the whole thing's going to tip over. You pull the lever and you're, it's, it is a de- those things are death traps and I don't understand how more people didn't die and I'm glad that they fell out of fashion and I don't think they should come back. I feel very well, I feel very petty about them. Maybe that was like the only adrenaline that made them get, you know, horny. Like there was <laughs> oh, something about like oh the jolt up during Matlock. They're like, "All right, let me just go like bump and grind while I'm still asleep." <laughs> yeah, that's I don't true. and who decided like recliners is like what you need to get a pedicure in it feels wild to be in this like airplane toilet seat with like (laughs) like like it feels like a very personal um what is this called again the clicker remote no no this um fist (laughs) fist was the word you're looking fist in your back when they're like doing that yes this is where i'm at this is where I'm at. Okay. <laughs> Every day is a fucking panic room. And you need to give me the next clue. My whole fucking life is a game of celebrity. But there's no celebrity. Okay. <laughs> English is my first language. Help me. Okay. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. You're talking about the little massager guys that yeah. like. Yes. Yeah. But there also is something too. Like when you go, get, I got my first pedicure in over a year, like mm. last week. And when the lovely woman who is helping you feel like a human, but also like hands you the remote, but is already turned on the fisting back yeah, thing. Yeah. So you're just trying to be like, thank you. As it goes up. <laughs> yeah, don't put it on need. I don't need a need. <laughs> don't need a need. Yeah. It's, I really don't need any kneading or folding or, or what it, the, that yeah, thing. I don't like that. The chopping. The chopping. I don't like that don't, either. Who said that? Who said that? The massage industrial complex. Yeah. <laughs> they, there was like an excess in a factory. They made like 10 million and they're like, well, fuck, nobody's buying them. I guess we'll just distribute them to nail salons. 
It makes perfect sense to me. Um, That's Michelle, true. What yes. do you feel? What are you feeling petty about this? Week? Oh my God. Well, these were, these were great pets. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, these were, I am no petty Pendergrass, but I'm going to try and go now. I'm going to try and go now. <laughs> um, okay. This sounds like I'm a complaining bitch and I might be, and I'll own that shit. I'll lease to own. Okay. <laughs> I am so motherfucking over anyone in my house who's just like, can I clean your kitchen? Don't ask, just do. Don't ask, just do. And then the dishwasher, they cannot figure out the dish. It's the same fucking dish. What do you mean? The dishes, when people stack that shit, like, I'm like, are you okay? How do you drive a car? (laughs) My friend put the bowl up. The bowl is up. All the water's going to go in it. And then what do you think? You're not cleaning. It's got to go down. That is. How do these motherfuckers not know? It's just like, you fancy. You got a fucking dishwasher. Yes, bitch. I'm fancy. I'm making money because apparently I got common sense. And you don't. Maybe you don't deserve a fucking dishwasher or any household appliance. You got to be smarter than to fucking use. I feel like it's petty and I feel bad about it. But like, look, if you can't use a dishwasher, just wash the dishes like it's Thanksgiving and Orange is a New Black at Litchfield. Do you know what I mean? Just do a prison wash. Just wash all my dishes. I hate when people come over and just like, do you need three spoons for that one thing? It's hummus <laughs> and avocado. It's hummus and avocado. Why are you taking out my spoons? I have two-year-old twins. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a like it's, a pet peeve or just a cry for help at this I, point. I literally was like, this, this is a mom who's been in the house. This is so amazing. <laughs> It's like, if I have to load my dishwasher again after <laughs> someone does it wrong one more goddamn time. Mm-hmm. Oh I my God. Them. Someone put the knife up. Are you trying Ooh. to hurt me? Ooh. Yeah, that's yes, not it good. It feels like the hand that rocks the cradle. Fucking Rebecca DeMornay just spilled my dishwasher. It feels like you want to hurt me. All my references are like older than Taylor Swift. So I do appreciate <laughs> I do appreciate the fucking the nanny reference because I haven't seen that show ever. And, and people in Holland think I sound like her. And I'm like, you could also go fuck yourself. <laughs> that's, oh, that's hilarious. Is it? That is. I want I want I hope someone in Vondel Park is like the nanny. And it's like, yes, Georgetown, Vondel Park, the blue tea house. Yeah, yes, you better get it, bitch. Brown titties. Brown titties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown titties be on a bike. What you gonna do? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Um, let's just sit around and talk about our boobs all day, guys. This week we could probably do it. Um, Michelle Bouteau, thank you so much for yes. joining us. This was so much fun Riri. this was so much fun for real you gotta come back it always feels like i've been blowing up like too many balloons when i'm done like i'm a little bit out of breath from laughing which maybe is a medical <laughs> yeah. concern yeah. but um yeah. but yeah, yeah no come back anytime michelle we we love having you um Riri. i don't know about that but it was good to see you guys <laughs> <laughs> Riri cheney thank you so much for being wonderful Alyssa, of thank course. you for being my ride or die thanks to kim kelly for breaking down the amazon union vote And thanks to you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. I am from another planet. This nation is like Janet. But these girls are Janet. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan.
Alyssa Mastermonico is our co-producer and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Narmel Konian and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 